Why is Teen Vogue teaching teenagers that prostitution is a legitimate line of work? And how does a recent post from an ex-homosexual point us to the victory we have in Christ? Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world, only two kinds, not black and white, not rich and poor. There are those who are dead in sin, and there are those who are dead to sin. After three nights of unbridled lawlessness across London, the contagion is spreading. The problem is that God has already judged this. He has judged murder already. I don't need to question it. I don't need to ask and wonder what his plan is. We're commanded as Christians not to participate in the works of darkness, but expose them. Welcome back to the 511 News. I am your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And today we are looking at a number of stories that should make you upset. If you even have a pulse, I'm sorry, you should be upset about the things that we are going to be talking about. But I also want to leave us with some encouragement today. But why should we be upset? Because of Teen Vogue and some of the stuff that they are doing, some of the stories that they are putting out. We're not talking about Vogue magazine even to adults. We are talking about to teenagers, 13-year-old girls and boys, okay, probably more girls. I don't know many boys that read Teen Vogue. But nonetheless, you are talking about a magazine that is specifically dedicated to getting out stories to teenagers and when they do that what sort of propagation what are they putting out what are they giving to your teenager well recently on their twitter page they reposted an article that was written in april okay and we posted about it on our twitter feed okay and here's what we posted about with the article it said teen vogue this is suggested reading for 13 year olds Articles on prostitution being a legitimate job? Pedophiles who pay for child sex slaves will be ecstatic about articles like this and their target audience. And we actually got a little bit of backlash. Not too bad. But a couple people that wrote us on there in disagreement. One asking us if we read the article, which we certainly did, and we quoted it back to them. But I had to look at who are the people that would be for this, what kind of a person would come on our page when we're upset that children, okay, because yes, 13-year-olds are children, that 13-year-olds are being told that prostitution is a legitimate way to work. And they were upset. And so I went to their page and somebody actually posted four different articles that Teen Vogue had put out this year, one about how to properly have uh sodomizing sex, I guess is the best way I could put it. One way to have a queer sex 101, how to have sex and do it safely. And then this article as well. And somebody, a mom apparently said, just a few examples of what the 2019 version of Teen Vogue is putting out to kids today. To the person who then wrote to us, asking us if we read this wonderful article and said, well, if parents won't do it, saying that basically... Teen Vogue needs to come in and tell your children about sodomy. That Teen Vogue needs to come and tell your children how to have gay sex. How absolutely disgusting. You know what? I will tell my children about those things. And I will warn them away from them. I know exactly what God's plan is for people. 
His word has made it very, very clear. And these things are unnatural, the Bible says. Okay, these are unnatural desires. And so I will warn my children away from these things. And you're telling me Team Vogue is going to come in and tell my kid that prostitution is a legitimate line of work? Give me a break. This is literally what God used to describe going after uh, after other gods. That's how he describes it in the book of Ezekiel. Okay? That Israel, after he would take them out and clean them and make them new, that they would prostitute themselves, that they would lift their leg for anyone that would come by, for any false god. Okay? So when we talk about prostitution, this isn't something that God wasn't aware of. This isn't a, a line of work that he said, oh, this is okay, keep practicing this. But no, he wants people out of that line of work. Okay? One of the ways that Paul describes it in, in concerning sexual sin is that should you put yourself and make your body one with a prostitute, make Christ as one with a prostitute? No, may it never be. We should look at this and recognize this is disgusting. And I have to quote from the article so you guys can see. This is a doctor who wrote this article for Teen Vogue, okay? Doctor, and I do not believe I pronounced this right, but Dr. Leling Mofakeng said this, quote, I am a doctor, an expert in sexual health. But when you think about it, aren't I a sex worker? And in some ways, aren't we all? No, we're not. That's called a false equivalency. Okay? I have a job that earns money. So does a prostitute. Therefore, we're all prostitutes. I think William Lane Craig puts it as, Socrates is Greek. Greek is a language. Therefore, Socrates is a language. Obviously, that's ridiculous, okay? And if you watch uh, films such as Zeitgeist and these lies online that you could read about where they say that, you know, Mithra and all these gods are very much like Jesus, you find out when you actually look at it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's just a, a false equivalency. Some of it's just lies and they know it. But some of these things are just false equivalencies. And that's exactly what she says. Aren't we all? I make money, you make money, so we're all just sex workers. And she goes in a little deeper, quote, she says, I do not believe it is right or just that people who exchange sexual services for money are criminal, criminalized, and I am not for what I do. Is a medical degree really the right measure of who is deserving of dignity, autonomy, safety in the workplace, fair trade, and freedom of employment? No, this should not be so. Those who engage in sex work deserve those things too. No, they do not. No, they do not. I'm sorry. We should not take any old thing and because someone gets paid to do it, ascribe it as a legitimate occupation. This is not good for our society. This is, uh, but society, you know, honestly, society be damned, okay? I want to talk about what does the scripture say concerning this? And when you don't have that objective truth to fall back on, when you don't have God's word, ultimately, society will decide exactly what they deem is right and wrong. Over and over again throughout history, we see this. They will deem what is right and wrong. And when prostitution is something that is accepted and then pushed on to little kids, are you kidding me? 
What about the girls in high school? The girls that are bullied. How about the girls that don't get the pretty, the, the good looking guys and the girls that aren't uh, the popular girls? And they read stuff like this that they could be wanted, accepted, and make money this way. This is the kind of stuff you're pushing on these little kids. I'm going to talk to my kids. I'm not letting Teen Vogue in my house. I'll tell you that right now. Imagine if some woman, some doctor had a private conversation with your 13-year-old daughter and talked to her about how sex work needs to be legalized and how it's a legitimate occupation. Someone that she trusts and saying, it's the same exact job. I'm sitting here as a doctor and we're in the same line of work. She literally, in that same article, equates helping out somebody that has an STD Helping out someone, one part of her job is to help people, not only give them advice, I guess, on on different sexual things, but also handing out medicine for STDs and saying, oh, this is the same as prostitution. No, you're talking about root causes. (laughs) You're talking about, this is nonsense. This is ridiculous. And if some woman, some doctor had a private conversation with my kid about this, I would be floored. I would be furious. I would have righteous jealousy for my daughter's thought life that this sort of nonsense could be propagated to her and yet people are buying this up and other people online are bragging about that your kids are being told this stuff we need to look after our children do you realize if you're a parent that you are honestly a glorified babysitter i think about this a lot okay god has given me the opportunity to watch these children that he's given me i'm about to have my fourth kid and when i look at them I think, okay, I want to make sure that I do what's right because I know that if I hired a babysitter and I said, please watch after my children, here are the guidelines, okay? I don't want them watching this. I don't want them doing this. Please watch over them. And I go out with my wife and when I come home, my kids are smoking weed. My kids got porn up on the TV there, okay? One of them setting a fire in the back. I would be furious with that babysitter. Imagine God himself looking at the things that you're allowing for your child and you're allowing to be propagated into their thought life because you think, oh, Teen Vogue, that'll be sweet. Oh, here's how you become a sodomite, okay? Oh, here's here's how, how gays should have sex. This is the kind of nonsense, okay, that I just cannot see us as believers not looking at this and being disgusted. When we come to a place as believers that you're no longer disgusted by this, that is when we have a problem. I see that all the time. I got to be honest with you with some of our comment section. Well, this is what we expect. They're non-believers. When you are no longer blushing at stuff like this, you need to check your heart. When this stuff doesn't bother you, you need to check where your heart's at. You need to check if it's in line with scripture. Are you exposing this wickedness? Are you having those talks with your kids? But we don't we don't need to go to this. I don't need some guide for homosexual activity. I don't need some guide on how my teenage daughter needs to sleep around. This is absolutely ridiculous. And then to come and tell kids that this is a line of work that is completely okay and it's the same as going to school for 10 years and being a doctor? Give me a break. We are not all we are not all sex workers. That's just a blatant lie and ridiculous. She goes on To use another narrative. Okay? So here's another one. She says, the ILO, okay? The ILO estimates that sex workers support between five and eight other people with their earnings. Sex workers also contribute to the economy. So she makes the argument that because sex workers contribute to the economy, that we should accept this. And I'll tell you this. I saw this line of thinking 
and it breaks my heart to say it, but from police officers themselves, when I went up to Las Vegas with my wife and a couple, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and we went out to show the gospel at uh, what's called EDC or the Electric Jay-Z Carnival. And while we were there, we we're saying, dude, you guys know that there is so much ecstasy going on here. We came and we interviewed people and I'm sure we'll get a video out soon enough on that. But we interviewed people and we asked them, hey, you popping Molly tonight, which is slang for are you going to drop some ecstasy tonight? And almost everyone answered yes. And when we asked one guy, you think you're going to be popping Molly tonight? And he said, yeah, of course. And I said, how many people do you think in here are going to be doing it? He said, he thinks 99% of them were. So when we talk to the police officers and say, hey, you're going to you, – you're okay with this? The people are coming here and using illicit drugs in this facility that they're going to be – Tons of people getting raped and slept with on the floor, incapacitated. You're okay with this? And their answer was very similar to her. Well, it brings a lot of money. It brings a lot of money here. Okay, all the hotels are full during that weekend. It brings a lot of money to Las Vegas. And I was absolutely disgusted. And this argument that it brings a lot of money and so therefore we should allow for prostitution and sex work just to be a legitimate source of income. Well, what about human trafficking? Human trafficking. And this is from a Fortune.com article. It says, human trafficking is estimated to bring in global profits of about $150 billion a year, $99 billion from sexual exploitation, according to the International Labor Organization. And in that article, okay, Dr. Sharon Cooper talks about the pipeline of vulnerability. She said, what we see is that children are at great risk to be brought into what's referred to as, quote, the life. They're really groomed, sometimes by society, by advertisements, by what they see on social media, and therefore we have to be very proactive to make this stop. Now, of course, young girls, think about this, guys. Young girls, if you're 13, 14, 15, 16, you're going to need someone to help you to be a prostitute. You're going to have to have someone over you just like all of these sex slaves. And the problem is, is that sin is looked at as slavery in scripture. It's looked at as bondage. And even if you're doing these things, you're practicing prostitution, you don't have freedom. You are living in bondage. And that quote that she said, oh, look, you know, they have six to eight people living off of their money that they're doing from prostitution. That's all you're talking about is more bondage. How do you get away from that life when you can make more money doing it? You know, I've worked with the homeless now for a number of years here in Simi Valley and, and in Ventura County. And one thing you come to find out, and I've, I've taken some off the streets. They've lived at my house, even got it burglarized because of it. But And some, I, I usually try to take them to the rescue mission in Oxnard. And one thing that you'll find is when they come to the realization that if they come off the streets, they now take back the yoke of debt and bills and all these things that they don't necessarily have when they're on the streets. They're on the streets. They're, they Usually they can go to any old rescue mission and eat that night. They usually have a shower. They have food. People will bring them food, especially in uh, more affluent areas. All these different things. And guess what? They can do drugs and hang out with their friends all night. And they got nothing to do. And so they don't have that bondage. What do you think about a young girl who starts sex work and makes a lot of money doing it. You don't think that creates bondage when she realizes, well, if I get out of this, you can't just go get a job at Vons and make a bunch of money. Those who in, in second Peter, 
we are warned about those who promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. And it talks about them specifically about lustful desires, sensual desires that they're promised this freedom. And look at this. That's what this doctor is doing. This doctor is promising them freedom when really she's going to bind them up in slavery. They're going to be slaves to sin. And they're going to be slaves to the most grievous of sin because the Bible warns. Because a lot of people want to say, oh, all sin is alike. That's not a fact, actually. Specifically sexual sin, God warns that it is a sin against your own body. There's something totally different going on there than any other sin. It's very, very interesting. I mean, we could talk about sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but specifically, when you are sinning sexually, you are sinning against your own body. And that's why I believe it's so vivid in Scripture when he says, are you, you're supposed to be one with Christ. You're supposed to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Are you supposed to make Christ one with a prostitute? May it never be. How could we do that? How could we look at these things and just bat our eyes and say, no big deal, Teen Vogue. Write your articles. It won't have any effect. If it didn't have an effect, they wouldn't write it. They wouldn't have advertisers paying them money. You know, I always wonder that when people turn a blind eye to these artists and they go, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Taylor Swift, all these Christians that are listening to Taylor Swift and now she's coming out and she's making sure that, you know, the Christians need to shut up because we need to all be pro-gay. Okay. And you think that, oh, my, my daughter likes her music, but that won't have any effect. Okay. Pepsi doesn't pay millions and millions of dollars for 30 second ads or shorter because they don't believe it have an effect on people. The Super Bowl ads don't go out there and pay millions and millions of dollars for their little seconds of a clip because they think that they won't lose, they won't get any money. Okay. They would be bankrupt if it didn't have an effect when you visualize, hear the music, hear the tones, read these things, if they didn't have an effect, then they wouldn't spend the money or they'd be bankrupt. The problem is they're advertising to you. And that is exactly what Satan is doing. Satan is advertising these things to you. He's trying to put this out there in your thought life, in your kid's thought life, because he's going to advertise it and just make it normal. That was what Madonna said about homosexuality, about kissing other girls and stuff, that she told the advocate that you just normalize it. You just keep doing it in front of it. And the first time, maybe somebody thinks it's gross. You know, maybe they're even, you know, they're pushed back by it, but eventually they accept it and maybe they're even aroused by it. And that's what's happening. We just take, I mean, when you get to the point where you can tell teens that prostitution is an okay line of work, I mean, really, where, where, where are we that we don't have people standing up for this? You guys, I, I just, I cannot imagine that we can look at these things. And if you've ever held your daughter in your arms, if you ever watched her, you, you know, your son, all the, you know, if you've ever done that and then you see this is the stuff being propagated to them, if you're not jealous for their purity, if you're not jealous that they would follow after righteousness and not be taken down by these things, okay, I got to ask you, where's your heart in this? I, I would pray that your heart of stone would turn into a heart of flesh. And God is the only one who can do that. He's the only one that can renew our minds to an understanding of his word and how it works. And so I want to look at those things. And I don't want to have this whole show be in the negative because there was something that was absolutely beautiful that happened. And I had read this last month, this last uh, week 
about a couple different things. There was a there was a march that took place in North Carolina that had to do with ex-homosexuals, ex-lesbians, ex-gays that came and they wanted to talk about the victory they had in Christ, which is entirely different than what Pride Month has been doing. Being having the victory of Christ. And one man posted this, and he's a young man who's been saved now for two years. And he created somewhat of a firestorm on Twitter because he hashtagged Pride Month with what he said. And he put a little rainbow flag next to it too. And he said this, quote, Jesus brought me out of homosexuality. There is no gay gene. And gays being born that way is only half true as everyone is born into sin and iniquity. Don't let this world cheat you out of the free gift of salvation. Christ died for Jesus is the only, or Christ died for Jesus is the only love that is true. Hashtag pride month. Ain't that the truth? Jesus really is the only love that is true. And the problem is, is that this world wants to give us counterfeits. They want to get us counterfeits of what true love is. And I love the fact that he pointed to the victory that he has. And he actually said later in that article, he said, It's very sad for me to see people succumb to indoctrination and shame and who they are in such a manner. I hope you may find the real help you need. That's what I'm sorry. That's what one commenter told him. He said, It's not indoctrination. Nobody forced me to turn to Jesus, and my family is largely agnostic. I didn't grow up in church. The reason I turned to Jesus is Jesus. And I love that. The reason I turned to Jesus is Jesus. It reminds me of the woman at the well. You know, Jesus comes and speaks to her. He, you know, he brings up the fact that she's living with someone that isn't her husband. She goes back to Samaria, and she's telling everyone, Hey, this man just told me everything I'd done in my whole life. And she gives them a gospel message. And then Jesus comes to that town. And they say, we no longer believe because of what she said. We now believe because of what you said. And it's the same, same thing that you and I are, as 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 talks about. For Apollos is of nothing, for Paul is of nothing. But ultimately, one plants, one waters, but it's God that causes the increase. It's God that causes the growth. And so I love to see that. And I think that we as believers, okay, we can get caught up in some really bad theology when it comes to one of the most glorious chapters when you put them next to each other in the book of Romans, chapter 7 and chapter 8. If we actually look at them as Paul is talking in those chapters, I believe you can have this man's viewpoint of before Christ came in his life, before, as he said, he turned to Jesus because of Jesus, okay, before that happened and then after. And that's by looking at Romans chapter 7. And I believe, I call, I like to call it the chapter of defeat. The Romans chapter 7, verse, beginning at verse 14, is the chapter of defeat. And I think if we take the context out and don't understand what Romans chapter 7 is saying about the law, we don't understand what Paul is saying in his defeat in that. Because he talks about how we are divorced from that law. They actually talks about how that law, that's, they needed to die. That spouse needed to die. Okay? Jesus, uh, God's word says in Jeremiah 3 about the divorcing of the covenant because of unfaithful Israel. And then he talks about in Jeremiah chapter 31 about the new covenant that be written on our hearts. Okay? Which is quoted twice in Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 10. And it's really interesting when we think about this, this law being dying 
Okay, we are now under the law of Christ, with the law written on our hearts, loving our, our loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and one like it, loving our neighbor as ourself. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in a person, and it edifies that person, it sanctifies that person through God's word. And he's saying, I was dead. He even talks about how when he understood the law, that it brought death to him. And then in Romans chapter 7, it is very clear over and over again. It says that he is sold into the bondage of sin. Bondage of sin. And I want to really quick as I can. I only have a couple of minutes left. But I want to compare a couple of verses from Romans 7 to Romans 8. Because I believe this is the contrasting of the believer pre-salvific and post-salvific, coming to Christ, okay? Because in Romans seven fourteen, when it talks about I am sold into the bondage of sin, it is so far different from Romans chapter 8. Because Romans chapter 8 tells us this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That doesn't sound like bondage to me, like it says in Romans chapter 7, this bondage of sin. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That contrasts Romans chapter 7 concerning those when he talks about, and I believe he's talking about himself as Saul pre-coming to Christ, that he could not help but do those wicked things that he did not want to do. This does not sound like the guy in Romans 8. This sounds like someone totally different, and I believe it is. I believe it is a new creation in Romans chapter 8. Verse 5 says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 7, you have no peace. That is a non-believer. There is no peace. He can't help but do wickedness. He can't help but do the things he doesn't want to do. And he can't even do the things that he wants to do. He's completely bound by his sin. But it says this, verse 7, Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through, hostile towards God the whole time. It says, For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 7 spends an entire time talking about in the flesh, that you're in the flesh. But verse 9 says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness, because you are no longer a slave to sin. You are now a slave to righteousness. If you are a blood-bought believer with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are a new creation in Christ. And here, I'm going to skip skip down because I don't have as much time as I thought I would have. To verse 37. And it says this. It says, But in all these things, and remember, one of the most powerful verses talking about 
is verse 38. That he's convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, things present, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor created thing separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's really important. Okay, Those who are not in Christ don't get those promises. Only those who are in Christ get those promises. But the verse right before it, I absolutely love because it says, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Not through your own strength. John 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the promise. You, as a believer, live a life of victory. When you stumble, you get up. When you fall, you stand up. You don't stay beaten down. First John chapter 2 tells us that the goal of John's instruction was that we may not sin. But if we do, we have an advocate with the Father. My goal for you is that you would not fall into sin. Know that you have an advocate. Know that we all stumble in many ways. But know that, guess what? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's the Jesus we serve. A Jesus of victory who it doesn't matter if you're a homosexual. It doesn't matter if you're an adulterer. It doesn't matter if you're a porn addict. It doesn't matter if you're a drunkard or a drug addict. We have the victory in Christ and he is the conqueror and our banner. Thank you for joining us on the 511 News. I pray you will be active in sharing your faith so you have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. God bless.